chapter 11. There are two Lazaruses in the Bible. One of them is in Luke 16. In Luke 16, Lazarus was a poor man, and we see him contrasted with the rich man who had died and gone to Hades. Lazarus, the poor man, had died and gone to Abraham's bosom. And there's a a description of the difference between heaven and hell and the great gulf that is fixed. This Lazarus in John 11 is the other Lazarus, and he's the one we're going to be looking at this morning. And he's the one who, as you know, uh, was sick and died, and then Jesus raised him from the grave. There are a lot of different ways to study God's word together. Um, There are word studies that we could do. There are topical studies. We can look at a particular uh, idea and see how it's fleshed out in the Bible. You can take a single verse and pick it apart. You can take a passage of scripture. This morning we're going to go a little longer in our text and look at the entire chapter of John 11. And I am going to take the time to read it this morning. I'm actually going to read just down through verse 46. Um, And then pull out some important truths related to us, related to our salvation, as we see them pictured in the life of Lazarus and what happened to him. So I'd like you to bear with me as I read through the chapter together, and then we'll pray and then um, pull out some, some truths from this. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas therefore, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called her sister, uh, called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will also see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that you heard me. And I knew that you heard me always because of the people standing around, I said it, or but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that you did send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to dig into your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are indeed the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Thank you for this passage. Pray that as we look at it this morning that you would reveal yourself to us. I pray that the truth of your word would not um, have no effect on our lives. I pray that we would be moved, that we would grow and that we would just be stirred in our hearts to worship you and respond to what we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things I want to share with you this morning. The first is Lazarus's condition, and the second is Jesus's provision. And so first we're going to take a look at Lazarus, the man, and the condition that he was in as we find him here in John chapter 11 and make some comparisons to our own lives as we've been studying the book of John with Pastor Dan over the past several months, 
We know that the purpose that John had for writing this book was so that we could understand that Jesus was the Christ and believe in him. It says that very plainly in John chapter 20, verse 31. So this story, this account of Lazarus being raised by Jesus is no different. And so the intent of the writing of this book in the first place was so that we might understand who Christ is and that we might believe it. First thing I want you to notice about Lazarus is the obvious, and that was that he was sick. If you take a look at verse 1, it says a certain man was sick. Verse 2, at the end of the verse, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3, Lord, whom he whom you loved is sick. Verse 4, Jesus said it himself. He said, this sickness is not unto death. Verse 6, when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. The sickness that Lazarus had was representative of our sin. The word sick in the original simply means diseased or to be made feeble, to be unable to help oneself. And the sickness, whatever it was, we don't, it doesn't say what the sickness was specifically. We can only guess at that. But whatever Lazarus's sickness was, it wasn't limited to a part of himself that could be treated or eradicated. And in fact, Lazarus was living in the village of Bethany, and Bethany was a place where invalids would go to recuperate. Uh, it was much like a hospital today. It was, it was a place where people would go that couldn't be helped otherwise, and they would go uh, to Bethany to, um, to live out their last days. And so there were many, many people other than Lazarus in Bethany who were sick. And I would imagine that in a place like that, there were probably physicians or people who would be there who would be able to help him. But whatever Lazarus had, he wasn't able to be helped. The sickness was going to cause his death. There was nothing good left within him or nothing healthy in his body left within him to be able to cure himself. Um, and that is such a clear picture of our condition. In Romans chapter 3, we know that there is none righteous in this world. No, not one. And there's nobody that can help themselves when it comes to this disease of sin that we have in our lives. There was no part of Lazarus that could be removed. Some people believe that by eliminating certain things in their life or cleaning their life up, they can approach God that way. But Lazarus, there was nothing to be done. There was, no, there was nothing to amputate. There was nothing to remove. There was no surgical procedure that could be done to help him. The sickness was through his entire body, and it was going to take his life. There was nothing that could be done. And this part of our salvation, as we think about it, is probably, at least in my opinion, the hardest part for people in the world to accept. It's the easiest part to understand, but the hardest part to accept. To come to a place where you realize that you, yourself, are full of sin, just as Lazarus was full of this sickness, and that there was nothing that could be done. There was nothing Lazarus could do for himself. The other definition of this word sickness is weakness, or to be feeble. Um, as we know, as I've said, he was completely unable to help himself, but he was also unable to be helped by anybody else. His sisters, I'm sure, who loved him, who lived in the same house with him, would have done anything to try to save him. 
to try to help him. But there was nothing that they could do either. You know, Paul, and the, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, stated that he wished he could be accursed for the sake of his brethren. Paul, and that's kind of an unusual sentiment. I don't know if I could, um, if I could come to that place myself. But Paul said, I wish that my salvation could be taken away and given to my, bro my brethren who need it. But there was nothing that Paul could do to save them. He could only preach the gospel and share with them the truth. He couldn't help them. We cannot save those who we love. People around us who are sick with sin, we can't save them. We can't help them. We can't make them be saved. We can't do anything to cure them. It's an individual responsibility. And on the flip side, we can't ride into heaven on somebody else's back either. Every person must stand before God and give an account of himself to God, according to Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Isaiah 64, 4 says, all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before God. There's nothing we can do to appease the holiness and the righteousness of God because of our sin. Titus 3, 5 says, he saved us not by deeds of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. And so here's Lazarus, and he's sick. He's feeble. He's weak. He can't help himself, and nobody around him can help him either. Second part of Lazarus's condition that I'd like to notice out of this uh, lengthy passage is the fact that Lazarus was loved. It says it over and over and over again in this passage. Um, Jesus, we know, loved Lazarus. It says it uh, plainly in verse 3, the sisters therefore sent to him, meaning Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus showed his love to Lazarus. We know in other parts of the New Testament that Jesus came to visit him. He was a personal friend. He was at his house. He actually went to um, Lazarus's house in Bethany and stayed with him just before he went into Jerusalem the final time uh, on, on the day of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so he had talked with Lazarus. He had probably shared the truth with him. He'd ate, eaten with him. And Lazarus was a friend. And, and his love for Lazarus was well known. Obviously, the sisters knew it in verse 3. The sisters said it plainly when they called to Jesus and saying, He whom you love is sick. Um, John, who wrote this apostle, obviously knew it in verse 5. It says plainly, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And even the Pharisees, I don't know if you noted that last verse in verse 46. The people who were around who saw Lazarus being raised, some of them believed and trusted in Christ that day. Others didn't believe, and they ran and kind of tattled. They ran and told the Pharisees what was going on. And if you look in chapter 12, verse 9, even the Pharisees knew that Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. The, the, the Pharisees, as you know, had it out for Christ. They, they were looking for him to trip up. They were looking for something that they could blame him for or arrest him for, and they were, they were trying to kill him. They were trying to eliminate him. And in verse 9, it says, The great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he, meaning Jesus, was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So this is post-resurrection Lazarus. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put who to death? 
Lazarus, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. And so even, even they knew that Lazarus was a friend of Christ and that he loved them. But when you think of love, would you describe what Jesus did initially as love? Mary and Martha called out to him, knowing that he had the power to come and rescue their brother out of the sickness that he had. And what did Jesus do? Verse 6, when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed put. He stayed where he was two days longer in the place where he was. We, can, we think of love in, in our own terms, don't we? If God loves me, then fill in the blank. What would he do for you? Give you a house, give you a great relationship with somebody, give you money, give you good health. If God loved me, he would, and we, we think of it in our own way. And maybe we would even look at this passage and say, Does, did Jesus really love Lazarus? If he did love Lazarus, wouldn't he have just jumped right up and gone to help him? If you had a friend who was sick, would you sit still and do nothing if you had the power to help him? But God doesn't love the way that we love. We're people, we're flesh, we think of things in terms of our own finite ability to think of things, and God in his infinite wisdom had a greater plan for Lazarus that nobody knew about. And ultimately, the love that he showed to Lazarus was so much more than we could have ever done for Lazarus by helping him physically. We think of God's love often in terms of our own understanding. Jesus said in verse 4, that his love for Lazarus was tied to the glory of God. And I want you to catch that. When Jesus heard it, verse 4, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And ultimately, the love of God is not just physical things, temporal things, monetary things. The love of God goes much deeper and has to do with your soul and your eternal life. And that's the whole point of this passage as, as it unfolds for us. But one thing I do want us to get, the fact that Lazarus was loved is an illustration of the fact that God loves you and he loves me. The love of God for the world of people is so clearly taught in the Bible. John 3.16 is probably the most famous and well-quoted verse in the entire Bible, but it states it plainly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God commends his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I'd like you to keep your finger there. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. God's love, as you can see it here in this passage and in others that we've read, is tied to not giving us physical things, but it's tied to the sending of his Son, which ultimately will lead us to him and give us eternal life. A couple other passages, Romans chapter 8. These are ones that you probably know well, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Even in the Old Testament, Psalm 136.26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his loving kindness is everlasting. 1 Peter 5, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If you don't understand the fact that there is a God who is not only capable of love, but loves you more than any person is able and loves you to a greater degree than any person is able, then learn it and know it and understand it. God has a deep and abiding love for each and every one of us, and he showed that love in a very specific way. So Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was loved by Christ. And thirdly, Lazarus, in this passage, ended up dead. There are some people who read this and will try to deny the power of God and the miracles of God, the supernatural uh, part of the Bible where, where the miraculous happens, and they'll say that Lazarus didn't really die. Yeah, he got sick and maybe looked like he was dead, and the doctor just didn't quite detect the faint pulse that was still there in his body, and so they, they buried him prematurely. And then Jesus got there just in the nick of time and got him out before he really did die. No. That was not the case at all. Everything in this passage points to the fact that Lazarus was dead as a doornail. He was done, finished with this life. Um, The account in verse 13, where Jesus told his disciples that Lazarus had fallen asleep. I'm going to raise him out of sleep. And the disciples misunderstood him. They thought he was talking about literal sleep in verse 13. Therefore, Jesus, in verse 14, had to say it plainly. Lazarus is dead. How long was it before Jesus got there after he had died? Four days. And in fact, he had been in the tomb four days, so it may have been even longer than that. Could anybody survive in a tomb wrapped in the cloths for four days? I don't think so. Everybody around them recognized that Lazarus was dead. You look at verse 19. All of the friends that Mary and Martha had, their their neighbors, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to do what? 
console them. Why? Lazarus had died. The funeral was taking place. There was sadness. There was mourning. And many people had come to the house to just be with them and console them in their time of sorrow over the death of their brother. Martha was convinced that her brother had died. In verse 21, she scolded Jesus for not arriving in time. She said in verse 21, Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. She knew he was dead. Mary, even when you compare Mary and Martha, we're not going to get into that this morning and their different personalities. Even Mary scolded Jesus. Down in verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They had already laid him in a tomb in verse 34. Jesus came and asked, where have you laid him? It was in a cave. The stone had already been sealed on the cave. And when Jesus said, remove the stone, what was the first thing out of their mouth? No, don't. <laughs> don't do that. It's going to stink. He's been dead four days. Is there anything in that passage that leaves any doubt that Lazarus was dead? He had physically died. As far as everyone was concerned in this passage, Jesus, Mary, Martha, the Jews around them, everybody knew that he was gone, that he had died. Left in our sickness, in our state of sinfulness, that's exactly what will happen to us as well. And death is not a popular topic. We know that. Some people can get absorbed with death and we think they're weird, morbid, dark. But I think it's a good thing to think about. Every, every one of us is going to face our own death eventually. And why do we have to face that? Well, it's because of our sin. The scriptures are so, so clear about this. Genesis chapter 2, right from the very beginning, in verses 16 and 17, God says, um, he commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Where's Adam? See, he's not here this morning. What happened to Adam? He's dead. Chapter 5, you read Genesis chapter 5, that's the death chapter. If you, if, you're, if you really like to read about death, go to Genesis chapter 5. So-and-so was born, they lived so many years, and they died. So-and-so was born, and they lived so many years, and they died, and they died, and they died. I have it underlined in my Bible every time it says, and they died. It's the death chapter. Death happens because of our sin. Adam disobeyed God. God had told him, if you disobey me, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And that's exactly what happened. I'd like you to turn to James 1. James chapter 1, verse 13. Sin is nobody's fault but our own. We're born in sin. We choose to sin. We enjoy sin. And we all do it. Let no one, this is verse 13, James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 
but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is accomplished, brings forth death. Romans chapter 5, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I want to stop here just for a second to explain the difference between physical death and eternal death. Because if you're thinking only in terms of physical death, then this won't make any sense at all. Even if you read Romans 6.23, which we, we just quoted, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's the death? If, if the gift of God is eternal life, what kind of death are we talking about? Eternal death, right? If the gift of God is eternal life, the wages of sin is eternal death. It's not just physical death. It's separation from God. When we talked about that first Lazarus, the, the poor man, Lazarus, who had died and gone to Abraham's bosom, the rich man had died and gone to Hades, a place called hell. And there's a great gulf fixed between those two. And there was no going from one place to the other. And that is the illustration of spiritual death. Physical death happens. Death, as we know, is a separation, right? At its, at its core definition, death is a separation of the body from the soul. It's when we cease to live physically and we rest our, we lay our bodies to rest in the ground. All of us have had relatives who have died, and, and most of us have probably seen a dead body, a corpse. There's no life. The life of that person has been removed from the body. There's a separation. That's physical death. Well, spiritual death is very similar in the sense that there's a separation between you and God. Where does God live? Where is God? I know he's everywhere. Where's, what's his abode? Where does he dwell? Where were, the, where were the creatures, the four creatures, who were saying, holy, holy, holy? They're in heaven, a place, a spiritual, literal place where God dwells. If spiritual death is a separation from God, then where does the soul go if he doesn't go to God? According to the scripture, judgment, eternal judgment in a place called hell. There's only one or one of two options for people. And that's what the death is all about. And so when we read about Lazarus, and we understand that Lazarus was sick, there was nothing he could do, and he died, the same illustration is true of every person. We are sick unto death because of our sin. And unless that sin is somehow taken care of, that's where we will be. We will be eternally separated from God because we won't be with him. We're, we're dead. And in Ezekiel 18.20, I want you to listen carefully to this. The soul that sins will die. Not just the body, but the soul that sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. We're not going to pay for anybody else's sins but our own before God. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will also be upon himself. 
the soul that sins, it will die. So that was Lazarus's condition as we read it in the account. He was sick, he was loved, and yet he died. And that's the condition of human beings. We are sick because we're born in sin. We're loved by God, and he did something about that. But unless something happens, and we'll get to the good news in a second, that's where we will be. We will be dead like Lazarus was dead. Not just physically, but spiritually dead. So that was Lazarus's condition. The second point is Jesus's provision. If there was any hope for Lazarus, where did it come from? It came from Jesus. It came from Jesus Christ and him alone. We see that all through the passage. I'd like you to turn back to John 11 and look at verse 4. We see these little snippets of hope that Jesus gave all through this passage before it happened. He said in verse 4, when he heard about Lazarus' sickness, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Something was going to happen in the future. We didn't know quite what it was yet, but Jesus was saying, don't worry, I have it under control. Jesus, Lazarus' sickness is not unto death. It was a statement of hope. His death was not permanent. Jesus said that his death, and we know from the account, his subsequent resurrection was for the glory of God. There's There's a statement of hope there. What did Jesus say to his disciples in verse 11? Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go and do what? I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to arouse him. I'm going to wake him out of sleep. It's a statement of hope. And who's going to do all this? The doctors, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, somebody else? No, Jesus. Jesus was his only hope, as he is ours. Um, What did Jesus say to Martha in verse 24 or verse 23? Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Who's going to do that? The hope is found in Christ. Our only hope for life, not physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life, is found in Christ and nowhere else. It's not found in ourselves. It's not found in our family. It's not found in our church. It's not found in our jobs. It's not found in how much money we have. It's not found in our abilities. Nothing. The only hope that we have for eternal life comes from Jesus himself. I'd like you to turn to John 14, just a couple pages over. One of the clearest passages in all of the New Testament about the exclusivity of Jesus being the only way to heaven. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 3. Verse 
Verse 21. Look for the phrases in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. It's over and over again in this passage. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in who? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's no other way. The only way that we can know that we have eternal life, that we can live after we die, is through Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is no name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and and the life. And so in Lazarus' life, if there was hope for him at all, it was found in Christ and in Christ alone. And could Christ deliver on his promises, on those little snippets of hope that he gave to Lazarus? You bet he did. Jesus gave Lazarus life, and he's the only one that can give life. Jesus, in verse 25, said, I am the resurrection and the life. How could he claim that? How could he possibly say, I am the resurrection, I am the life? Why is it? Because he's God. He's the author of life. He was there when life began. In fact, he started life. What's it say in John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's the author of life. It's where life started. And so he's the only one that can say, I can give you life because I am life. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at Colossians 1 with me. It's one of my favorite New Testament passages. Awesome description of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Speaking about Jesus Christ, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom... We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's it. There's no one higher. He's the top. And he's the only one that could claim that he could give life because he was God. He claimed in verse 26 that whoever lives and believes in him would never die. Again, you've got to know the difference between the physical and the spiritual death, right? Because Lazarus, Lazarus was a poor guy, really. He died 
Jesus raised him, and then what happened? He had to die again, physically. But he didn't die spiritually. I guarantee you that if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and you go to heaven, we'll be able to see Lazarus and talk to him about that. He's there with God because of his faith in Christ. So Jesus claimed that whoever has life in him will never die. Jesus, what did he say to Lazarus when he got to the tomb? Come here. Wake up. Does Jesus have the ability to conquer death? Yes, he does. He called Lazarus back to life from the dead. Jesus didn't just claim that he was the resurrection and the life. He backed it up. If he really was God, and he really can give you life and, and spiritual life, he should be able to raise people from the dead. Because he has the power to do that, because he's God. And so he demonstrated it. You don't believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Lazarus, come forth. Everybody saw it. They rolled the stone away. Lazarus, it was probably like one of those movies, the mummy movies, you know. He stood up and he walked. He's all wrapped in cloths. I don't think he had his hands out, you know, like. Can you imagine Lazarus's thought? Maybe, I don't know what, you know, what happened to him in those four days, if he was in heaven or, or where he was, but maybe he woke up like it was a dream. I don't know. But can you imagine waking up in the tomb wrapped up? What's going on? Lazarus was rescued. Jesus gave life because he's the life giver. But there's one thing that Jesus required. And we'll end here. And again, you'll see it all through this passage. He mentions it over and over and over again. Why didn't Jesus go right away when he found out that Lazarus was sick? Verse 15. What did he tell his disciples? I didn't go so that you would believe. It's why I didn't do it. I want you to believe. You must believe. If you are to gain this life that I'm talking about, you, disciples, you, Jews, you, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, everybody who's here, you must believe. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. What do he say in verse 25? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the all-important question. Do you believe this? Verse 40, Martha was the one who put up her hand and said, don't open that tomb because the, the smell's going to come out. But Jesus said to her, didn't I say to you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Verse 42, why did he raise Lazarus? He says his prayer, I knew that you heard me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. Verse 45, some of them did. Some of them trusted in Christ on the spot. They saw what he did. They understood who he was. 
They repented of their sin and they believed. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. And so the question for you is the same one that he posed to Martha. Do you believe this? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important decision anyone can ever make in this life because it affects not only this life but your eternity. Don't put it off. Understand that we, like Lazarus, are sick with sin. I don't know, you know, we could go through and try to convince you that you're a sinner, but I think most of us understand that. If we take a hard look at the law of God and compare what we do and what we think and what we say to God's law, we know that we fall short. None of us have never lied. None of us have never lusted. None of us have never stolen something. None of, we've all, we all do. We break God's law probably daily, probably more often than we'd like to admit or think. Maybe we don't even know it when we do it half the time. That's our sickness. And God says the soul that sins will die. If you die in your sins without believing in Jesus, then you'll be judged for your sin. You'll have to stand and give an account for every single time that you've broken God's law, and you'll be punished for it because God is holy. Talked about the holiness of God this morning. We sang about it. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And sin cannot dwell with him. Psalm chapter 4, verse 5. He won't allow it because of his righteousness, because of his character. And so, where do we find our hope? Most people try to find it on their own to be good, go to church, give money, try to be better than at least some of the other people around us, but we can't. Lazarus couldn't help himself, and we can't help ourselves. There's nothing we can do to overcome the sin that's already there, which is why God, in his love, provided a way for you to be saved, for you and me. And that was through Jesus Christ. Lazarus's only hope was in Christ, and our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Are you saved this morning? Do you know in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That he created all this that we see around us? We had a chance in the last couple of weeks to travel different places. Went up to Maine with Nathan for the Father's Son. Beautiful place. The lakes and the mountains, fresh air. God made all that. Got to be down in the ocean this past week. Watched the waves and a couple of storms roll through. God did all that. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus Christ created all that? Do you know that he created you? You're not the master of your own soul. But he's the giver of life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. If you're going to find hope, you're going to find it in Christ. Is Christ your hope? What are you hoping in? What are you trusting in? They say that often... The distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches. Heard that? It's the difference between knowing it here and believing it here. James says that, that the demons believed that Jesus was the Lord. They even called him Lord. They knew who he was. But they're not saved. Because they don't believe in him. They knew about him. But they didn't trust him. Belief is trust. Where are you putting your trust? 
Do you know Christ as your Savior? Today is the day of salvation. None of us knows when we're going to die. We, we don't have that ability to see into the future. None of us have a guarantee that our next breath is going to happen. At best, how long are we going to live? 70, 80, 90 years? Maybe 100 if, if we live that long? We have no guarantees. If you're unsaved, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I would invite you to listen to what Jesus said, to understand that he's the resurrection and the life and that you need him. You need to bow your head and believe in him. There's no magical formula to be saved. It's faith. It's trusting. We don't often do invitations here at the church because a lot of times people will rest in the invitation rather than in Christ. You know, people will say, you know, if you, if you want to be saved, raise your hand or come on down forward or do something. And, and sometimes people will confuse that. Well, I did that. Well, no, you can't do anything. Jesus said, he who believes in me has life. Just the, the words that we read together. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so you can be saved right there as you sit by confessing your sin to God and believing in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for you by understanding that he's your only hope. Or you can wait till you get home. Or you can do it tomorrow or the next day. But just realize that we don't know if we have tomorrow or the next day. Salvation is an urgent thing. If you haven't been saved, then I ask you the question that Jesus asked, Mar asked Martha at the end of his statement. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the word of God and how clear it is. I pray, Lord, that as you have provided salvation for every man, every woman, every child that's ever lived or ever will, I pray that you would help those who are here this morning who may not be saved to understand the gospel, to understand that we have sinned and that we deserve death because of our sin, but that there's hope that's found in Christ and that the only thing that we can do is to believe that Jesus is our substitute, that Jesus is our Savior, that he died for us. Lord, I thank you for uh, the account of Lazarus, and I pray that we think about it during the day, that we'd be thankful, that if we know the Lord, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we would be so thankful that you've saved us and that we know that we have eternal life. And for those who may be here this morning who don't, I pray that you'd stir in their hearts the desire to come to you by faith and make their salvation sure. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.